Since the pandemic, over 100,000 students have skipped filling out financial aid and lower cost local institutions are seeing significant enrollment decline. This is exactly why we need 2.0 institutions that are working towards incentive alignment in education. This week, I dove deep into this topic with Ruben Harris, founder and CEO of Career Karma. Career Karma, simply put, is TripAdvisor for your career. It's a managed marketplace focused on connecting high potential individuals with the right skills accelerators to help them harness their potential. In this conversation, we talked about a number of topics. Unbundling higher ed, why Ruben's bearish on resumes and credentialing, how the job market today mirrors the free agency process in sports, how to unlock organic distribution, his early DMs with Balaji Srinivas and the former CTO of Coinbase on how to break into tech, and the recent Harvard Business School case study on career karma. We rounded out the conversation with Ruben's entrepreneurship motto and what drives him to build CK. Ruben, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me on the show, brother. Ruben, really excited to have you on the show today and dive, you know, pretty deeply into career karma, but also your perspective, you know, on both the future of education and reskilling. But, you know, before we jump into that, tell us a little bit more about your background and how it led you to founding Career Karma. Yeah, so for the people that don't know what Career Karma does is we match career transitioners to job training programs so they can get high paying jobs in tech in about a year. Um, the jobs we focus on are software engineering, design, and data science. And what makes our software unique is not only will we match you with one of 450 job training programs across the country, but we'll also give you support during the program, before the program, and during the job search for the rest of your life, which leads to um, a little bit of, of my story where, you know, the advice that was given to me to break into tech was just move out to the West Coast and you'll figure it out. Um, and my, my three friends and I were confused about where we should start, you know, what kind of skills we should get, what role we should pursue. Um, and I grew up in Atlanta, like you. Uh, and I had to find different programs online and my co-founders had to find different programs online to teach ourselves these tech skills. And, and, and after we did that and met the right people, then we were able to get high paying jobs in tech. So that's, that's the high level. And I'll, I'll go deeper as you ask different questions, but that's the high level about my background is that what we're building is what we wish that we had when we were breaking into tech. Yeah, and l- let's let's expand on that a little bit, and and even before jumping into career karma too deeply, even just set the stage for folks, you know, on what's going on in the market, right? Even pre-COVID, there was a fundamental underlying shift going on in the market, right? And and education yeah. as a whole um, was actually one of the kind of three horsemen, I'd say, the American economy that was just outpacing inflation, right? The rise of tuition yeah. Was significant, yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you know, the last couple of months you layer in COVID, right? So give us a little bit more mm-hmm. of a perspective, especially being in the business and running it. Give us a little bit more of your perspective on just what's going on in the education and reskilling landscape. Yeah, I mean, like over 1.5 billion students now have to study online due to school closures caused by COVID-19. I think that's, that's important to understand um, because, you know, part of the reason why we started with boot camps is because not only were they outcomes-driven education platforms, they also had online formats that could be done part-time and full-time and self-paced. And so now colleges are facing this existential uh, crisis uh, where they have to decide whether they're going to reopen, go online, or do a hybrid of both. Um, And the government is kind of forcing their hand to reopen or they don't get, like, stimulus money. Um, 
but a lot of people are putting the priority of their the health of their students and their teachers uh, at making that a priority, and they're deciding to go online. In my opinion, everybody's going to go online. That's what's that's what's going to happen, um, because education has changed more in the last two weeks than it has in the last two hundred years. I think that's a that's a very big shift uh, for colleges to go online, um, because I think these are the Holland IQ numbers say that there were already over a thousand universities that had worked with OPM providers, which are, I forget exactly what it stands for, but essentially enables them to go online. And um, that, that has now increased the number of options to students by like a hundred, like a hundred times, right? So now the already hyper-fragmented educational industry is even more fragmented, which causes so many students that are now online to suffer from paralysis by analysis. And when you think about MOOCs, which are massive open online courses, which have gotten hundreds of millions of people to subscribe online, to start them online, you've only seen a five to 50% completion rate. And the growth of MOOCs for perspective, I, you know, when, and at the end of 2019, I read some report that said like, about 100 million people have done massive open online courses in the last seven years. But now with COVID, I believe that the MOOC numbers, according to Holland IQ, is 300 million monthly visits <laughs> from students. So, that, so that's insane now. And I would say the, the things that were happening in the boot camp industry are starting to happen in the university industry where the, the fundamental question that students are, are asking themselves is like, what's the return on investment? Well, not just money, but time, right? If I put time into this, if I put money into this, if I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this, what is it going to give me? Right? It's like, education is good, but like, am I going to get a job? That's what people care about right now because over 54 million Americans have filed for unemployment since March 2020. And many millions and millions of these jobs are gone permanently and so when you when you ask that that question you're starting to now see universities um acquire different programs um like i, I believe k-12 education buying different boot camps you're starting to see uh universities by themselves like so you're starting to see a lot of m a and consolidation inside of colleges um you're starting to see colleges um partner with boot camps to give people a credential and a short-term program. Um, you're starting to see a lot of co colleges shut down because of the cost structure and things like that. And so it's, it's interesting to see how things play out. And all of that is even more confusing for people in addition to the fragmentation, to know where to go, who to trust, because now you have some, some organizations that are acting for good and some that are acting for bad. And so deciphering who's really going to get you to where you want to go is, um, is key. Yeah, it, it becomes really interesting. You, you touched on this a little bit, Ruben, but if you unbundle college, right, it's really three things. Mm -hmm. It's credential, socializing, and network, right? Mm -hmm. and each of those three are under fire, right? College, mm -hmm. at no point in time, I think, has been greater that the value proposition of you know, the credential has been under question. You obviously mm -hmm. can't because everybody or you can socialize but you know at 10 percent of the value because everybody's remote and on zoom right uh -huh. a lot of the you know ad hoc ways to really build network are, are gone 
Um, how do you think about those three elements, you know, credentialing, socializing, and network, right? And really how to tackle those in a, in a post-COVID world in, in scaling and education? Yeah. So number one, I'm not bullish on credentialing. And the reason why I'm not bullish on credentialing is that there are over 730,000 credentials that exist with limited transparency on outcomes. I, mean, I think that's like something that's important to understand. That's according to credential engine. Um, historically, I mean, we're human beings, so we like to categorize things. And so like we are, like to be like, okay, so if I have that p piece of paper, then this means that I've learned that thing. And I think credentials are important for AI algorithms if you're applying on a website, which already limits you because only 20% of jobs are listed online. And so I think that like credentials are important, but they're not your saving grace. So in my opinion, so my, my short answer to that is certificates and degrees don't get you jobs. Get them, but don't rely on that on you getting a job. On the, on the network side of things, we also aren't just going to one school and one company forever anymore. You're going to go to school to school to school and company to company to company. I honestly think if I was going to think about credentials, where you worked matters more than where you went to school, mm. right? So picking companies matters, right? So like you can go to the worst school to get the worst credential, quote unquote. Um, but if you get a job at a high growth startup or a very prestigious company on your resume, then that's going to serve as a much stronger credential to get to where you want to go, right? So for me, I went to school, people nobody's ever heard of. I had a 2.9 GPA, but then like getting an investment banking in Chicago and Atlanta at reputable firms made people think that I'm smart. I work super hard, blah, blah. Not saying that I'm not smart, but if you look at my credential from college, you think that I'm not smart, right? So I had to overcome that perception. So like, that's something that I'll say about networks. So I think as you think about network in, in a post-COVID world or, or a current COVID world, don't rely on just the credential or even the company, rely on the, the network of professionals that you build, right? Because everybody's gonna be constantly shifting. And so you gotta understand which organizations, which training programs have the, the, the social capital or the social visibility to the individuals you're trying to get access to that will open up historically closed networks. And we can get into that later. I, I like that framing a lot, actually, because that's how, and I want you to talk about this a little bit more on how you see career karma really fitting in the landscape. You know, when, when I take a step back um, as, as an outsider, the way I see it is, you know, I, re I really think of it as admissions 2.0, right? So I think the competitive corollary to college in, in a new world is the boot camps that are coming up, right? Like the Lambda schools, the Flock J's, et cetera, of the world. Um, but I think where Career Karma sits is really interesting because it feels like it's really the entry point and the layer to this whole world, right? And that's super powerful because in, in many senses, it puts Career Karma as the true unlock in this value chain. How, how do you think yeah. about the positioning of Career Karma and what What's the insight in terms of why, you know, why you're sticking at more of this admission player versus the true, you know, bootstrap player? Yeah, I mean, something that we talked about a lot in the beginning when we first started the organization was like this consolidation thing, because consolidation isn't new, automation isn't new. Um, 
we used to say things like boot camps come and go, but career comes forever, right? So there's going to be some people that are going to create amazing programs. Like it can be the best program with 100% placement rates, and and they and they get people jobs fast in like three months, six months, twelve months. But like it's not going to be one school that's going to train the entire world, right? It's like it's like a hospital. You're not going to build a, a hospital that cures everybody. Right, because there's so many different types of diseases that exist out there. Right, you could specialize on. My father's an oncologist. Right, you could specialize not just on cancer. He's at Emory. You could focus on a specific type of cancer. That could be your whole hospital. Right, and you could address every single human being that has that disease. But like, that's not everybody. Right, and then you people are going to be born into this new world. Right, so I think um, we want it to be like the biggest platform that that doesn't just train people i guess train training people but like also has no teachers like we just connect you to the right training programs because pathway navigation and guided pathways guided pathways are a super super um um it's something that's limited for a lot of people um so that's something something that i think about a lot so with with boot camps i think that with education in general since things are so fragmented, 20% of their budgets go towards marketing. Hmm. And that's just, just that's, that's to reach people. And the problem is, is that if you're trying to reach a demographic of people that have no idea what jobs are being created by technology, what skills are required, and the, the network that you need in order to get into those roles, those things that you said before, then it's going to be very, very difficult for someone to enroll into your program right so like what we what we've done is not just match you with the right training programs we've also put you into these small groups which goes to the community piece that you talked about called a squad that's going to give you support during the the admissions process but also during the program during the job search as well so that, that that's how i think about it yeah, it's it's really powerful because um, so there's two things I'm, I'm hearing there, right? One is there's there's a superpower that's inherent in the product because it's really, you know, you've really built something that you wanted, right? Something you and founders really could have used. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But there's the other part of it, too, which is which is touched on with a little bit with squats. And I know there's some other mechanics um, of building trusted community. I, I had Megan Quinn on the podcast, formerly of Spark Capital a couple of years ago. Um, and I remember she was one of the investors in Coinbase. And I remember we were chatting in the in the conversation and I was asking her opinion on uh, Bitcoin and what she thought, you know, what she thought the value potential was and what Coinbase thought the value potential was. And she reframed the conversation very interestingly, which was effectively, it didn't matter so much what the inherent price or the value of Bitcoin was because Coinbase wasn't building uh, a platform just to transact Bitcoin. It was building a platform for people to transact all of crypto. And that's kind of the same way I see, you know, I hear what you're saying here, which is the same kind of piece, which is career karma isn't uh, a platform or a conduit for one individual bootcamp, but rather it's that trusted veneer or layer, right, for this new world on, on future of scaling. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it's, it's not just like, you know, it, it, it's not just, it, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier in the preacher. Like if you believe that there's going to be a new educational model in the future of work, you don't have to pick which training program is going to be the, the clear winner for the future of work. The program that's best for you may not be the best one for me, 
but we will be the con the trusted conduit that will help you pick the right school, the right people, and the right companies. Like that's that's what we're always going to do. And so that that's that's how we think about it for sure. Um, I think when you think about phase one, though, right now our focus is like matching you with the best boot camps because the boot camps are outcomes driven and are getting people jobs and they have job guarantees. Um, you your investor flock day, you know, you see Lambda, you see all these people focus on ISAs, for tuition, springboard, things like that. Um, but I think higher education is starting to adopt these models too. Income share agreements are spreading. They're spreading yeah. to colleges, to, 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 to companies themselves are launching ISAs as well and their own credentials as, as well, which is super interesting to see. And so I'll say phase two, we're matching people to colleges, trade schools, universities. And then once the economy opens up, we have really, really strong supply, like millions and billions of people transitioning careers through our platform, which is a conduit. We want to be able to match people to companies and professionals in the fields that they desire. Um, because of what you said, those, those three things that are super important, which is credentializing, socializing, and network. Like, there's a lot of people that have already completed these, these programs that come to CareerCom as well. And we do want to be able to match them to people that have been through their training programs in the future forever and ever. Yeah, and it's it's important. I think it's important to think about it that way because there's a lot. There's this element of how training and skilling changes, right? So now we're more focused. Folks are much more focused on lifelong learning versus staying at one company for the duration of their careers. Um, what what have you seen in the user base or, or just traction over, you know, COVID? I'm sure there's been an impact in aggregate growth, but I'm sure there's been a variation in the types of people that are coming to the platform. What have you seen in terms of user behavior? You know, during this time. Yeah. So uh, most, so just for, for, the, for people to know the numbers, we have about half a million people a month that come to Career Common now. Um, by default, it's going to be about a million a month. And then within the next 24 months, we want to have about 20 million a month coming to our platform. And they're mostly coming to us through SEO. And for the people that don't know what SEO is, that's search engine optimization. So it's like all organic. Um, and the reason why they're coming to us is, is very, um, I would say one of the drivers is the massive unemployment, which is our frontline workers. So you have mostly women and people of color that are losing their jobs. Um, but you also have people, people that are coming from white collar jobs as well that are losing their jobs, like lawyers. Um, you see, you see a lot of, um, so a lot of doctors that aren't happy with what they're doing. A lot of people in finance aren't happy with what they're doing. Um, but I'll say the majority of people in career come are people that are 25 to 41. Um, parents, women, people of color, which is why flexibility is important in, in, in the format of your training program, not just online, but do you have a part-time option? That's important. Um, being able to pay for your bills is super important because if you don't have a job, but you do want to do it full-time, like how are you going to do that? So programs that have living stipends um, that can pay you $1,500 a month is important, especially when unemployment benefits have now run out officially as of last week. Right. Um, so that, that's super important. Now, I'll say most of the people that are in our platform have gone to college already, not in Ivy League school. It's going to be like a state school or a community college. There are some people that have some college, no degree. There are some high school dropouts. But for the most part, they do. They have gone to college, but they, they are your frontline workers. They are nurses. They are they are retail workers and things like that. And so that, that's that's our that's our people. And it has been before COVID, but it's even more so now. 
Talk a little bit more about your uh, your background and your story, Ruben, um, in terms of um, how it you know how you would have used a product like this when you were breaking in. And and the reason I asked that question is is for two reasons. One is I think it ties exactly to what you were just saying, which is this idea of you know if you are a person of color, if you are a minority, et cetera, how do you break in? I think that's one element. I think the second part, which I think is really powerful, is in actually looking at the product itself, I think a lot of the pieces that make the the product and the platform compelling is you guys have really built it in a way in which, you know, if when you were starting out, if you had a product like this, right, this is exactly what you would have used to break in, right? Mm -hmm. So give a little bit more about, you know, talk a little bit more in detail about your journey. You gave the high level at the beginning of the conversation, but breaking into you know, banking, breaking into boot camps, et cetera. Give a little bit more, you know, on, on that. Yeah. So when people talk about reskilling on an individual level, like as a as a user or as a former me, they usually think about reinvention. Like I'm new year, new me, right? Like New Year's Day. So new year, new me. Or or like, you know, this I got fired, this is a blessing. Like I can do what I gotta do to do what I've always wanted. I used to be on my space and Black Planet, like this is what I'm gonna do now. Um, but what I try to encourage people to, to do is not just reinvent, reinvent themselves, but like think about their life experience that they've already lived, whether it's professional or a certain struggle and figure out how to use these skills to either enhance that or carry that on as a mission. So for example, this me as an example, I grew up playing the cello. I've been playing the cello for almost 30 years. And when I, when I imagine if I could show you, let's pretend I didn't go to college. Let's imagine I could show you all the people across the nation that didn't go to college, that went to training programs that I'm interested in, that are also musicians working at companies. And I can know which companies those are. Those would immediately be my people, right? Because we are social creatures as human beings, right? If if I told you, like you and I, right? If I tell you I'm from Atlanta and we just met for the first time, we're instantly gonna be homies, like kind of, right? It's not gonna be perfect homies, but like as we as you discover more things that that are similar, you're gonna get excited. It's like, wait, we grew up in the same neighborhood? Wow, like we got the same sports team. That's our we the same favorite player. Wow, like you like my long lost lost brother. Like that's crazy. You see, and so ideally, what, what when whenever somebody's looking for a training program, I'm not just going to match you to a trusted training program that and and get you to where you want to go. I'm going to match you to people that you could connect with on a on a personal level that makes you feel comfortable. And the reason why that's important is because people underestimate the importance of psychology in a labor transition. I can use software to perfectly match you up to the right companies, the right training programs, the right coaches and teachers or whatever. But if I feel like a fish out of water, I'm not going to complete it. And, that, and that's imposter syndrome that a lot of people feel. And so for me, um, I would have I focused on building training programs, uh, pro projects inside of my boot camp, focus on music as a musician. And then when I got to the job search, when it comes to the importance of picking companies, I'll focus on picking companies that are my strength, like a Spotify or SoundCloud or Tidal or whatever, because I can now compete against engineers that have 10 years experience that have never worked in music before. Right. So I think I think understanding how to how to enhance your skills or if 
if I ever grew up with diabetes, like my brother works at Omada Health, like focus on companies that are focused on curing diabetes, right? That might've been your struggle, but you personally know what people go through with diabetes. And so you can focus on that. So that, that's how I think about the social capital layer, um, because growing up, our, our, our networks are open. Yep. As you get more professional, our networks become closed. And so the way to open up those closed networks and like a VC or these corporate environments are by either using those personal traits, like I told you, or getting introductions to people that already have built those, those connections. Right. So that, that, that's, that's important. Cause like if I've, if I, if, if you're a mom and I'm a mom and you, and you've already gotten into a company and you already have access to that network, I can connect to you on the personal level and then you can leverage your social capital that you've built over the years, getting respect and, and status at your company. And then you can vouch for me so I can skip what you had to go through historically. Yep. Yep. What are the, what are the, talk a little bit more about some of the other elements you guys have built into the product or just into the company in general to give some of those aspects, right? Because I think if you, if you think about one of the biggest critiques of online education, remote learning, et cetera, historically, it's typically how high the churn and the incompletion rates are. So you were talking about MOOCs earlier, right? And I, I think that's patently evident in kind of the 1.0 world of online courses, right? Or online education, which I think are MOOCs. If you look at the same problem another way, though, you know, community not only, I think, helps reduce the churn aspect or the incompletion rate aspect, but it's a core, it's, it's not a quantitative metric, but it's a core kind of underlying indicator of the platform, right? Because it's yeah. helping throughput go through faster, right? More people are completing. And then there's this acceleration effect where as you have more and more people, you know, on the platform, it's, it's, it's effectively an inbuilt network effect, right? You have more, yeah. more data points, right? So how do you think about, how do you think about that? Or what are the other elements in the product you guys have built to really strengthen out the community side of it? Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of importance in, like, you have to put a lot of emphasis in, in upfront filtering, right? So even though we have a lot of these organic searches, you want to identify who has I'm going to use the word because a lot of people use the word, but I'll call it grit. Like you have to identify people that have the, the willing, the willingness to start and finish something. Right. I like, I like gym analogies as well when it comes to thinking about how you filter who's going to start and finish something, because a lot of people want to be healthy. Everybody wants to have a six pack. Everybody wants to have a great body. And if you sign them up to a gym, they can have the best equipment, the best trainers. You can make it free. Most people won't do it for five days a week consistently for 52 weeks, right? It's just, it's just human nature. So you, you got to identify the people that aren't just talking about getting a job. You got to identify who's serious about doing it. And the way that we have that upfront filtering inside of Career Karma is this thing that we call the 21-day CK challenge. And we, mm -hmm. cut, we chose 21 days because it takes 21 days to make a habit. And um, as people go through it five minutes a day, not only will they develop the right habits and the right mindset, they'll, they'll get educated on the space. They'll take different actions that continue to develop that grit and introduce them to that squad of people. And for the, for the most part, once someone completes a 21 day challenge, they get accepted into an average of about three to five different programs. And so out of that half a million people, there's like, there's several thousand people that like finish the pro finish the challenge every month. And so that's, a much smaller percentage of people, but that's just 
how things operate. That's just human nature. You can't really force people to start a fish. And also, like, people are dealing with a lot right now. So you don't know why someone, just because someone drops out of college doesn't mean that they're a bad person. Their family member might have gotten sick, things like that. So I think that upfront filtering is important. But even after you get filtered and after you do get enrolled into a program and you have identified someone that's high potential for one of these schools, because schools have to focus on completion rates, right? Because like, if, if, if I'm running a school that is has an ISA, an income share agreement for people that don't know what it is or deferred tuition, um, like if, if, if I'm running a school that has that, I have to focus on not just spending my money to Google and Facebook. I got to identify people that are going to not just enroll, but finish the program. Right, because my whole tuition is based off of them having a successful outcome, right? Which is another reason why they work with us. And so uh, the way that we help them after someone enrolls is they stay in that squad and they have like daily check-ins and they're able to join these different workshops. And people can, when they get to, to the to the job search, what the school, what, what, what they can use our platform to do is actually upload their projects into Career Karma because I told you I wasn't bullish on credentials. I'm also not bullish on resumes either. And so people can upload their projects into Career Karma that are relevant to who they are. And it looks very similar to product cards. And you can upload or download the different uh, projects that you've built. So you can be project of the week or project of the month. And then we can connect you to our network of 2,000 companies. We also work with TripleByte that has created like a assessment that people can use through our platform as well to see if they're ready for the job. And if not, they can connect with somebody that's like them, that's already employed, that can tell them what to do to enhance their project and make it better and things like that. So that's that's how we're we're getting around that. But currently I would say career company's not built to get people jobs yet. It's still that admissions 2.0 layer that's 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 getting people to essentially it's the trust trusted conduit for any type of training program that gets you a job in tech. I, I like that framing for two reasons, because one is I think you're getting to a point around um, just raw work ethic that's required, right? And and the psychology, I think, of what prevents a lot of people from doing something really consistently, right? And it's it's kind of the compound growth metric, right? It, it never progressive to grow, you know, even 10% year over year, right? Um, 10% month over month, which you often look for in the best startups. But 10% year over year, you know, compound interest can be significant for life savings, for example. Mm-hmm. It's not intuitive to think about things that way, right? And so I think there's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's, a huge, there's a huge element on um, this idea of propensity to act versus really just sitting back and kind of planning, right? So I think that's mm-hmm. the piece. Um, and then the other big piece, um, I really like, Ruben, from what you're saying, is this idea of how to get around the credential. So... There was a really interesting kind of piece on Twitter over the past couple of weeks with Shamath Palhapatiya from Social Capital. He put out you know, a, a solicitation basically for a proposal for climate change um, and basically said, I'm going to select three finalists and then fund them. Um, uh-huh. And I think got over you know, 400 really high profile proposals. Um, uh-huh. It's like the ultimate corollary to that is almost like free agency in sports, right? Uh-huh. And is your gut is your gut reaction to that kind of concept? I, I put this out actually. I, I put this out in a tweet. I said, if your gut reaction to that is you're nervous, then it's likely that you've benefited from, or benefited from closed networks, right? Information asymmetry, et cetera. Mm-hmm. If your reaction to that was excitement, 
it's likely that now the constructs of the world are set up in a way where, you know, if you're ready to shine, the opportunity is there, right? It's so funny you say that, man, because I, I actually have been working on a piece related to the future of work that talks about how, I don't have the, exact, the perfect title, but essentially the, the, the dynamics that we're seeing in the labor market are essentially very similar to what happened when free agency was introduced into sports, where like historically, if you're a star player, you're the hometown hero and you stay with one team forever and you just win games for them all the time, like Michael Jordan, right? But now, you know, you have, it's not, it's not abnormal to be a star player and play for Cleveland, Miami, the Lakers, and win rings with everybody, right? Like LeBron, right? And so I think, I think as we, and then the other thing to, to think about related to community, right, is these star players all have coaches, right? And all have people that guide them. So like if the most elite people in the world have coaches, shouldn't everybody need a coach, right? Not just the access to privileged people. Like, like everybody needs guidance. Everybody needs other people. And then there's, there's the teamwork. There's a the studying of the film. There's understanding the history of the game and, and stuff like that. So like all of these things matter. Whenever someone's stuck, having somebody that can help you get unstuck matters, right? That's why we have, I didn't talk about this, but we, we have a Q&A feature inside of the platform. You know, one of, one of the biggest issues for, for um, the, these, like, I would say, like, middle skills or these, these, these jobs in tech is there's not enough individuals entering the pathways due to lack of awareness and perceptions issues, right? You know, the, the, the question is, like, what type of credential is right for me? What industries align with my skills and interests? Does the program format work for me and my family? What's the program completion rate and the average salary? Like, how many people know who Shumath is? Right. How many people outside of tech know what Y Combinator is? Like we know that, but I, the people that I talk to don't know what Y Combinator is. Right. And that's what I'm telling you. It's like, it's, it's crazy when you see, it's, it's easy to get caught up in your bubble, but when you look at most of the world, they don't know what that is. So anyway. It's no, I, I it's. Which, well, sorry, sorry, sorry. One more thing. Cause like, which goes back to the sports analogy, right? The reason why so many people go into sports is because you see it on TV. So that media thing is super, super important because having a content play is like biology was talking about, like every company is a media company, right? So you see, you see all of these, if, if you're able to make these roles visible and people like them visible across skill sets, that's going to help more people pursue it. And I would say something that college did really well is, is sell the brand college. Everybody knows about college but they don't know about the alternatives. They know that there's alternatives, but which one's best for me matters. And so that, that awareness is, is key. So sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I, I actually think that's why, um, you know, in, in tech, a lot of people give like Mark Cuban and Shark Tank a whole bunch of flack and say, you know, mm-hmm. you know Shark Tank doesn't really emulate how, you know, people raise money or kind of all these ticky tack businesses, et cetera. And the way I, I actually take a completely opposite opinion, which is A, it's not ticky-tack businesses at all. In fact, these are mainstream small businesses that the vast, in the majority of the country runs, right? We have 30 mm-hmm. businesses in America and 25 mm-hmm. million of them don't even have a single employee. So this is mm-hmm. exactly representative of, of the kinds of companies and the kinds of businesses the majority, the backbone of the economy is really mm-hmm. built. But I think the second piece, which is so valuable, 
about that platform is exactly Ruben. What you were saying is they put it on TV. So they put this idea of what does it mean to run a business? What does it mean to raise capital? What does it mean, you know, to have the hard questions asked about really operating on mainstream television, right? On ABC yeah. to look at every single, you know, week, night in and night out. And so it's, it's made the family room conversation much more entrepreneurial as a benefactor in the same way that we have, you know, little leagues uh, for sports, right? Or mm-hmm. we have exactly. sports, et cetera. It's done that to the business environment. So I actually, I, in, in tech often, Shark Tank gets a whole bunch of flack, but I think it's the complete, yeah. right? I mean, I mean my, my, my buddy did Shark Tank. His name is Chris Gray. He's a black founder, amazing founder. He runs a company called Skyly. Um, he, he raised some seed money. I think first round was one of his investors. Um, and he's profitable. He's been profitable for a long time. And he's since 2015, he's generated more than a hundred million dollars in scholarships through Scali with thousands and thousands. They're the number one scholarship platform and they're his pitch on Shark Tank gets run consistently, getting him more and more users and users and users and users. And and he's doing awesome stuff in the ed tech space and, and people sleep like people a lot of people don't know that he exists in the tech world but in the and more people should know that he exists in the tech world but the people know who he is which is what matters right because that's who he's serving and so i, I think i think to your point i mean mark cuban is involved in the sports world he understands the power of media he's doing a lot of amazing things with arlen hamilton as well um and so i think i think um i think we need to do that more. I think there's a there's an implicit piece of that also, which is the idea of distribution versus just product, right? So it's something we we talk a lot about in in tech, but in in general, there's always this kind of back and forth on, you know, a lot of founders early stage think all that matters is the product, and they don't really think about distribution, right? And there's kind of this toggle. I think in a Shark Tank kind of national media type environment, obviously you're 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 building a significant propensity for distribution. I want you to talk a little bit more about actually those two topics because of two reasons. You know, one is you've built distribution audience into the company from day one, right? I'd argue you built it pre-product, right? Mm-hmm. You can kind of talk about that balance, right, in tech and how people think about it. But I think there's a significant power to building distribution and audience first. Mm-hmm. And we're actually starting to see it a lot more with folks that have significant Twitter followings that are then, you know, after they have an audience, they're starting a paid newsletter or they're starting yeah. a, right? And, and in many senses, it's like the roadmap writes itself once you're at scale from an audience perspective. So talk, talk a little bit more about that and how you've thought about that. Yeah, <clears throat> my, my first introduction to like thinking about distribution was to your point before I moved out into tech. Um, biology Srinivasan, um, is somebody that was the early people that I was DMing back and forth and on Twitter. And he told me that I needed to read, he told me that I needed to break in tech, but before breaking the tech to read zero to one, um, actually not, it was before the zero to one book came out, by the way. So it was like, it was just Blake Masters notes from Stanford about beating, being in Peter Thiel's class. And, and I wrote this, this excerpt in my blog post that I wrote when I first moved into tech where I think it's class number nine on Peter's, Peter Till's class on distribution, where he says, people understand team structure and culture are important, but for whatever reason, people do not get distribution. They tend to overlook it. It's the single topic whose importance people understand least. Even if you have an incredibly fantastic product, 
you still have to get it out to people. And the engineering bias blinds people to this fact. The conventional way of thinking is that great products sell themselves. And if you have a great product, it will inevitably reach customers, but nothing's further than the truth. And so that's, that's when I realized that that's what I was going to focus on was that. And when you think about career karma, it's not like my co-founders and I were living in Atlanta. We're like, let's dream of building a billion-dollar company that, that reaches billions of people and serves them. Like you said, it's, it's not just a product that we wish that we had when we built, that we built ourselves. It was a natural evolution of what we were already doing. And so my, my co-founders did boot camps. They did Act Reaction App Academy while they were still in Atlanta. And the way that we, we did that was because we, we learned about it through Jack Altman, who now runs a company called Lattice. And, and he, he did a boot camp called Flatiron School. And another buddy of our buddies did that. And that's how we found out about Y Combinator, by the way. Um, and when we moved to Atlanta, we wrote a story because I, I was used to, to media because when I was in Atlanta, I was throwing a lot of parties. I used MySpace to really get my name out there. When I moved to Atlanta, I used similar similar type of playbook. To get into banking, I actually wrote all the reasons why I wouldn't get into banking. And I got into banking, and that led to a lot of mentorship and support to get to be a good investment banker. So when I got into tech and I wrote a story about how to get into tech, I wrote a blog post called Breaking into Startups that blew up. But then we always wanted to start a podcast. And we wrote when we wrote Breaking into Startups, that was on Medium in the early days. This was before Substack, right? So we're on Medium in the early days. And then we saw this we started doing a podcast before podcasting was hot while everybody was doing medium and before everybody had a podcast. Right. So we did we started a podcast December twenty sixteen, which is now the world's largest podcast for people breaking into tech. And what we did, it was just a love we called it a love project. We just wanted to share stories of people that were like us that had gone through a career transition through some alternative pathway like us because we were the misfits and we figured the media would only cover VCs and CEOs and not people that were like us. And so that would be a nice niche. And so after recording hundreds of people, we were able to like, not just, we didn't inadvertently realize that we would learn so much about the business and also about the psychology of people going through a career transition that the training program started reaching out to us, wanting to pay us money to feature, to get the students that were our listeners on the podcast. And so that's when we started working with, I think the first school that we started working with was Hack Reactor um, before they got acquired by Galvanize and before they got sold again, right? So like we, we started working with Hack Reactor. And so that's how we started really understanding a lot. And then people that were listening to us would send us emails asking how to get jobs. And so that turned into this chatbot that we built on top of Facebook that would point people to the job training programs for, the, for that people wanted. And that helped hundreds of people get jobs, but there were many others that didn't get jobs. And that's when we realized that we needed to build this community layer piece. So we started with like a Facebook group and that grew to 10,000 people really quickly. And then we realized that like, you can't really control a lot with Facebook because the whole, you, the whole audience won't see you inside of Facebook. So then we launched the bubble app, which was a, which a, a prototyping app. So we could like do an MVP. Then we created like small groups on Telegram to really test it out. And then we cloned Telegram. And then we built our own app on top of it. And then we started making money. And then, then we did the Y Combinator thing. And here we are. But anyway, like distribution was important because now that we have our own platform and our own voice and our own like ability to speak through our podcast, we're able to 
speak directly to them without having to depend on other platforms. And then we took it to another layer when we started Career Karma, where I have an editorial team that pumps out over 600 articles a month, right? And I'm also able to use um, engineering to create every single combination of keywords that you can imagine and leverage the user-generated content that people are leaving inside of Career Karma to create really special pages that rank well in Google to be the number one destination for career advice on the internet. So yes, distribution matters. It keeps your costs low um, and doesn't put you in a position where you got to spend 40 cents of every VC dollar on Google and Facebook. No shade to Google and Facebook because they've also helped us out a lot. We do have some paid and just everything that we do related to the paid marketing is insight that we use to inform our search marketing. That's why I like the TripAdvisor for your career analogy when I think about career common. I, I also like the crypto analogy too. Yeah, that's it's one of the biggest unlocks. I, I feel like when I when I see your investor update every month, I, I I just always routinely get blown away by how much content is being produced and mm-hmm. how strong SEO is a part of the distribution strategy. Um, because I think on a long-term basis, again, when you take that kind of compounding analogy and you look out, you know, five years, ten years, et cetera, that compounding growth of that SEO dominance like starts out with very early or small numbers, but when it grows and when it's eclipsed, you know, when you look five years out for the business or 10 years out for the business, I think the reality of some of those numbers you're throwing out of, hey, our goal is to have 20 million people come a month and there's 500,000 people, you know, you look back a year and a half and it was nowhere near 500,000 a month at that point. That'd be close. 5,000. Very, yeah, not even quite right. <laughs> that, that number is very, very believable because of that element. Talk a little bit more about um, the TripAdvisor analogy. You just mentioned it, but talk about what that means to you because I think that's a really interesting way to think about the business. Yeah. I like TripAdvisor because they were formed like around like the, the 9-11 time and they raised a little bit of money and their their initial model wasn't working very well but they had to really use SEO in order to get big. Um, and when you, when you think about what we're doing, which is like helping people find the right schools, the right people, the right companies, I like the thinking about that as your destination. And anytime someone gets the guidance that they're looking for, whoever is providing that service allows you to, like we'll pay you, to get a qualified applicant. When I think about TripAdvisor, I also think about marketplace theory, right? And when you think about marketplace theory, the whoever aggregates demand is king, right? So like having relationships with your supply is important, but whoever aggregates demand is king. Like, but like, because like your, your drivers are gonna go, like if I'm a driver, like I'll use Uber and Lyft, right? I'll use all these different things, that's great. But like, whoever has the deepest concentration of riders is gonna be like where you wanna be at that's, that gives you the most money, right? Same type of thing, like if I'm a school and I'm trying to get students, I'm going to like the platform that's gonna have the most people always, right? And so, yes, we wanna have direct relationships with the different schools, but making sure that we have the, the, the supply lockdown really matters a lot. And and TripAdvisor did well on SEO. I think 
at some point, whenever you're thinking about an SEO strategy, you do want to also think about your paid strategy as well um, and how you're going to how you're going to stay number one. And when I think about when I think about SEO, it's it's kind of like um, I'll say the, the, the players that are big now, I would say are like directory 1.0, where what they've done is they've taken a lot of job filings, a lot of user reviews and just like index how much people get paid and like how people like working at their company or attending their program. And like with that alone, you're going to get tens of millions of people visiting your site and you're going to be able to make hundreds of millions of dollars and sell for billion dollar exits. That's, that's great. But where I think Google is going when it comes to SEO is not a yellow pages. They want to look more like a Quora, right? Where they're, they, they, they want to not just be a listing. They want to essentially index every single possible question you could have about a career or a training program, get the answer, not just from an editorial person, but an actual user, and then see how long you're going to spend on the page when you get there. So it's not just like you click them, then you fall off and you go away. Google's algorithms getting smarter, smarter, smarter. And so that's why whenever we think about SEO, we, we really we really think about all of those elements and, and on a directory 2.0, where we're not just gonna have the answers to how much you get paid and what the company's like, but what's your vacation policy? Is there sexual harassment that exists there? You know, what's your child care, care, care support that you provide, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. On a, on a lighter note, and as we round out the conversation, Ruben, two, two more questions or thoughts from Ed. One is um, Career Karma recently hit a huge milestone. It you know had a Harvard Business School case study written on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little bit more about that process, how that came together, and, and what the case study is about. Yeah, so that came about through um, uh, Professor Laura Huang. Um, she, she is one of our, uh, she, she's, she's someone that's very outspoken about um about um diversity in tech and like how people invest in different types of things and so as we have been informing her about what's been going on with that with career karma she asked us if having a harvard business school case study would be important to us um or or if she could teach about it inside of her class um you don't really hear me talking a lot about diversity even though our whole community is diverse and I'm a black founder. And I think that because it's, it's such an important subject when it comes to labor and because Harvard was one of the first schools to announce going online and, 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 and just understanding how companies are formed is really important. Harvard, Harvard Business School actually wrote that wrote a really good case study about TripAdvisor that I recommend everybody to see about how they become that how they became a billion dollar company um and and it that's how it came about she just asked me if we were interested it was it wasn't like something that we that we planned um full disclosure when i when i reached out to before i was in y combinator i actually reached out to laura as um to invest inside a career company. so she she's one of our early angel investors um like a lot of professors at schools are Angel investing a lot of companies, and that's how it came about. And so during the conversation, it was more focused on on our goal to reach a billion people in ten years, and what it would take in order to get there. What are the limiting factors? And then like really explaining what we 
how how what we have now is going to get us there. So that's what the case study is all about. Um, and I highly recommend people to read it because it's it's really good. I want to I want to round out the conversation, Ruben, with um, with a little bit more of a, a philosophical topic. You've talked about this idea before, and, and I love it. It really resonates actually with with me. It's this idea of having a, a motto that motivates you as an entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. And you've, you've talked about well, uh, you've talked about kind of you know JP in one instance, and you've, you've I think had a couple others, but it it really resonates. And I'll say it really resonates because having a personal north star is so important when you're a founder or you're an entrepreneur, right? In the grueling kind of day in, day out of operating. Um, so as we round out the conversation, you know, tell us what your motto is, why it's your motto, you know, and, and how it drives you in your day to day. Yes, I really like my, for me, I don't have a, a single motto that's <laughs> like my driver. One of them, I always think about like just trusting your struggle and trusting the process. I think that matters a lot because if you, if you know that your North Star is like, is, is helping a billion people in 10 years and like becoming this number one destination for career advice on the internet that like acts as the submission later, layer for the future of work, you have to, you, you have to think big, but you have to start small. That comes from Sequoia. I like to think big, start small. And so like really being dominant in your niche first and just being like really focused on on getting that beachhead market tight, which is like getting people into boot camps that positions you well for everything else and not letting yourself get distracted from all the shiny objects that get presented your way. Cause I get presented all kinds of shiny objects. Oh, you should get into staffing now. Oh, you should, you should start working with colleges now. Just like all these different things where if you, if you haven't fully maximized this yet, you know, then, it may not be the right time, but you also want to sequence mar- markets properly so you don't you don't um you don't um lose the 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 advantage that you have being first and not really having competition. I, I something else that drives me is the whole competition is for losers type of thing. Like I think that's another Peter Thiel thing where like a lot of times people go when you when you look at education, it looks like a super crowded market super crowded market but what we've what we're doing there's no from what i understand like just being in the space for a while there's nobody doing what we're doing there are competitors like of course reporting the switch up and we've we've definitely and I, I love what they've done but we've already passed both of the traffic combined and we're a lot different because we're not just a review site we have all these different things that are on there but like we've created this this unique we're, we're a category a category defining company we've created our own we've invented our own game right and so i think i think that like really thinking about the the trusting your struggle competition is for losers is a is a very big thing but i also like a lot of a lot of anime quotes and i like a lot of rap quotes that really really push me push me through this this process man i think i think that um i think that when you when you're thinking about this type of stuff um it's scary, right? And and I also watch a lot of documentaries. So like we watched Free Solo this weekend. And so like one of the quotes that came from Free Solo, which is this guy that free free climbed El Capitan, is that you face your fear because your goal demands it. Right. And I think that's like super important because somebody's going to figure out a platform that provides career navigation at scale. And that and we truly believe that that should be us, right? Um, 
there's a, a Martin Luther King quote that I have on my, on my wall, and I know I'm giving like 20 different answers to this. <laughs> and the, the Martin Luther King quote says like, if if you believe, if you if you believe that that you are called to do something, set out to do this at this very moment in history, as if God God Almighty told you to do it right now, right? If you feel like you are called to do something, like you really really have to do that. But everybody isn't fully built that way to just quit their job and just pursue building this platform. And when you're organizing a team. I really like this quote. Um, well, there's a lot of quotes from 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 Attack on Titan and, and things like that where they say like there's a limit to how far people can be pushed by fear alone. And I think that like having a healthy balance between fear and 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 struggle and optimism matters. And that's why I like the the the, the trust your struggle quote that I said originally because. You can't build muscle without resistance, so it should be a little scary. If if things aren't a little scary, you're not going hard enough. Right? There's a great quote, another quote <laughs> that I, that I hear is like that I learned when I was at the Near Future Conference that says, "Faster, faster, until the thrill of speed overcomes the fear of death." Right? Any hairpin turn. It's a motorcycle quote. Any hairpin turn can cause you to crash, but if you're in, if you're going fast enough. And you're enjoying the ride like none of that matters the same type of thing with a free solo like the closer you are to this mountain you're not focused on the fact that you're three thousand feet in the air and if any finger moves that you're going to fall to your death to your peril you have to just like have that healthy balance and if you're doing your best it's, it's going to work out so i'll say those are the main things that drive me and all so yeah Ruben, this was a, a really interesting conversation. I, I love, I love those pieces you pointed out at the end, especially the one that's trust your struggle. I think that's that's yeah. super powerful, and it um, it's it's powerful because it grounds you, I think, in your experience, but it doesn't let your experience, you know, or your past ultimately define you either, which is, I think, in many senses, so so deeply intricately tied to the ethos of of career karma, right? So, yeah, really interesting conversation, Ruben. I'm so glad you were able to make the time. You know, thanks again for joining us, man. Really enjoyed Thank that. you, bro. Appreciate it too, man.